century. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from Megaware Keelguard Studios. Welcome back to another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Aaron, here we are, episode 363, the November 1 edition. How was your Halloween trick-or-treat escapade? It was fantastic. The uh, trunk-or-treat that we did for Malia. I'm on my sugar high, Kurt, so if I'm talking a little faster than normal, uh, <laughs> forgive me. But we've got a lot to talk about this morning, and part of that is you know, our longtime partner since day one, and that is MegaWare Keelguard. Be sure to visit keelguard.com, the flex step, the skeg guard, and of course the first do-it-yourself keel protector. And one of your favorites is the battery guard, Kurt. I know you probably said on those you don't necessarily use them for your batteries, but uh, they provide cushion for most anything. <laughs> cushion for the pushing. Hey, there's a lot of pushing going out there on those big waves and these bass boats. So uh, happy to uh, have my battery guards, of course. You're right. It is one of my favorite products. Aaron, we've got some new products actually going to be highlighted from MegaWare here in the near future. Look forward to those coming up. We'll keep all Bass Edge listeners updated on uh, new and interesting things coming from our friends over there at MegaWare. Also new and interesting, Aaron. Opens qualifications are now solidified to the Elite Series. And we talked about the Northerns last episode, I believe, right? We did, and now I uh, understand that the Southern and Central's, uh, well, you know, let's just kind of dive off into it a little bit. I, I want to mention the Central guys, both guests on Bass Edge Radio, and that was Cody Huff and Joseph Webster. Yes, yes, Huff, the young stallion from Ava, Missouri, the uh, Rick Clun friend there, you know, Rick and, and Cody, pretty tight, coming from the same hometown, fishing all those good rock ponds over there in your neck of the woods, Bull Shoals, Table Rock, and all those great places. Cody uh, also fished the Pro Circuit when he was on the show. We talked to him about that, fishing the MLF Pro Circuit, but uh, ends up points champion there in the Centrals. The Southerns, interestingly enough, a couple of highlighted names there. David Williams coming from MLF Pro Circuit, a requalifier for the Bassmaster Elite Series. David's fished the Elite Series previously, then began fishing uh, the FLW Tour, which morphed into MLF Pro Circuit, now going back to the Elite Series. And another long-term open guy who's been, uh, you know, working his way to maybe one day fish the Elite Series, always kept those opens going, but also had a good run there on the Pro Circuit MLF Tour as well. And that is Josh Douglas, another Bass Edge Radio previous guest. Josh is an electronics genius and uh, guide up there at Lake Millax in Minnesota. So uh, he's going to be making the move to the Elite Series, it looks like. And then I mean, the overall points also solidified, Aaron, over there on Grand Lake, uh, that last central. Highlighted by Jacob Poroznik making the move. And uh, a personal highlight of mine as well, Daisuke Aoki. He's a yeah. uh, Japanese angler. Uh, that's uh, a great friend of Hayabusa's. Worked with Hayabusa Japan for many, many years. Started fishing the Opens over here. I think it was two years ago he started fishing all the Opens events. So uh, check that off the box, going the Elites. Yeah, Kurt, it's, it's very interesting because, you know, Italy and Japan and just kind of the, just this global influence that we're seeing and kind of the, the far reach of bass fishing. You know, they've been trying that with the NFL and, and the NBA and things like that. And we're getting a little taste of that in our own here uh, within the sport of fishing. One thing, Kurt, I, before we go to break, I just wanted to see if when we come back, you know, we just talked about those that are kind of advancing, but perhaps I'd like to spend a little bit of time maybe in the next segment uh, quickly talking about uh, some changes that's coming on for those that uh, weren't so lucky or are or maybe choosing not right. to, I should say. Yeah, the Elite Series is going to have a little bit of change next year. We'll hit that up next segment. But uh, before we get there, Aaron, let's pop into the Tackle Tip brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. Y'all stay tuned. Aaron and I will be right back. This episode's ProtectTheHarvest.com Tackle Tip with BASS Elite Series champion Brian Schmidt. Okay, guys, so, you know, we're, we're into the fall now. We, we have some cool-offs, some major cool-offs. We got, you know, some fog on the water in the mornings. You know, we know the fall feed's going on. And what I'm looking for here, you know, I'm looking for areas that bass are pinning bait fish. They have the bait corralled. You know, they're full-on assault on 
schools of bait, whatever your bait fish is for, for your particular body of water, they're keyed in on this, man. You know, the, the bait gives them a lot of fat, which they know they need for the winter. And, you know, you're seeing them sometimes exploding on these bait fish. You're seeing them push bait up to the surface, and, and you're seeing bass break the surface on bait. You'll notice that they might do this same deal in the same areas almost on a clock the same kind of time every day and and, you know you might say oh man i gotta match the hatch or you know i gotta downsize it looks like small bait sometimes they they are eating big bait and you're you're able to see that but what i like doing is i like tying me on a single swim bait and i'll do two different techniques okay i'll tie one on on a weedless weighted belly hook you know i like the hayabusa one you know i'll put on the biggest hook i can i'll tie this on 20 pound fluorocarbon and and this allows me to throw it in the cover if it's grass or wood and i'm not getting hung up and then i'm also going to rig one up on a single open hook jig head and what happens guys is just like you're seeing these fish explode and chase the bait on the surface, they are also doing this underwater and you can't see it. And what I mean by that is on my live scope, I'm getting in the back of these pockets. There might be one little ditch in the back of the pocket. And on my live scope, I can see the bait and I can see the bass swarming around them under the water and attacking them and schooling on them under the water and that's where i apply the the big swim bait on the jig head i throw it out past what i see let it hit the bottom and slowly reel through there the bigger the bait the better what what i mean by that is it's actually a it's it's a reaction bite they see something different than what they're feeding on they have one option either bite it or get out the way and it seems like it just gets the biggest fish to bite. Also, I'm seeing them on the surface, in the grass, or on a seawall, or whatever they're pinning the bait against. They use and you know they use their available cover to pin the bait. The surface is also a really good option. You know they pin it against the surface, can't go any higher. But something on the side of the like a grass edge or something, they'll pin them against that, and that's where the weedless big swim bait is is applied and these techniques you know i guarantee if you if you apply them in your body of water they will work for you awesome tip brian thank you so much for expanding that knowledge for us brought to you by protecttheharvest.com first by land and now by sea for years lucas oil has been a staple in high performance vehicles on both the road and track Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Livewell, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. It's not often that I get really excited about, you know, a piece of tackle. But I will tell you kind of what I've seen, and then maybe you can elaborate a little bit on this. We're talking about springing for a wacky rig that happened to see on Bass Blaster. And, of course, we talk a lot about Bass Blaster. But we're talking about spring, but not as in the season of spring coming, right, 2022. We're talking about something completely different. And looking forward to uh, actually using this myself. Yeah, man, this is a cool deal. You know, we always talk about Bass Blaster. Jay Kumar does a great job. There's so much information. He puts out 
out a couple of these per week, you know, Aaron. And um, one of the last several that he put out came with a cool tip that was a spring, kind of like a hitchhiker, right? You know, right, the hitchhiker. Right. Hitchhiker you'd use for like a, a little spring for a swim bait hook, right? So you would screw it on or, or some shaky heads have that little tiny spring where you screw it onto the head of the shaky head, right? So that style of spring, this comes in like a little length of this stuff. I, I don't know exactly how long it is. Maybe it's six inches, 12 inches, but it's a small spring that's a length. You take the spring and you screw it into where you would want to rig, you know, the center of your wacky stick bait. Kind of like the uh, O-ring scenario of where you put the about mid bait of where you would yes. normally put an O-ring. Exactly. So you take the spring, you screw it into the midsection of the bait where you put that O-ring and you just snip it off, you know, like with a pair of dikes. It's it's not really thick, but you, you got to snip it off. You know, you use your, you know, little dike part of your needle nose or whatever. And then you just take your hook and you rig it as if you're rigging it naturally, like we did five or six years ago or 10 years ago when we used to throw baits off of our hook all Be- the time, Before right? they were a dollar a bait. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's it's true. What, that's it's what true. prompted all this stuff. Right. That's exactly right. So you thread your hook right through the spring that you've now twisted inside of the plastic. So you have all the natural things that you had, you know, 10 years ago with that spring being in the middle. Now that spring has flexibility and movement when you set the hook and do all these things. There's nothing outside of the lure like you know, the rubber band type thing, the wacky tool, all that kind of stuff. So, man, I just thought this was a really neat thing. I I think that there might be several applications that will come from this, but uh, just another great little tip found on Bass Blaster. So, well, exactly. And Kurt, I'm wondering when you say, and and of course this could be a whole nother episode, but you know, Mm -hmm. when you get into punch baits or, uh, you know, your, your creature style baits, would you be able to thread that in there, you know, in the end as your Texas rigging, right? You know, down through like a beaver style bait and kind of come right back out. Would that help protect, right, that top from ripping out perhaps? You know, there, I, yeah. I, think, I think there's going to be a lot more uses for this kind of thing. Completely agree. I think once once it kind of gets into, you know, how once more people use it, they'll, they'll – you know, have little tweaks and, and just like you're already quick to the punch, Aaron, and uh, already seeing other potential possibilities for this neat little spring deal. So, uh, Hey, one other make- thing before we move on, didn't mean to cut you off there. Yeah. Is we talked in that first segment and I wanted to just visit on this quickly. What's your thoughts on kind of the, you know, we talked about the open qualifiers that actually made the elites, which that's, right. you know, that's very big, big move for them, but there's some that didn't. You got any feedback on that? Yeah, of course. You know, you've got your typical in and out. You know, you've got a few guys moving from the pro circuit and MLF side to the Bass Pro Tour. And, and all the Bass Pro Tour guys are staying still this year. No, no movement really there. But with the Elite Series, you've got a lot of movement this year. You know, they fished about 100 anglers this year. And now they're reducing the field back to a slightly smaller, about 90 anglers is their goal. I think with a couple legends exemptions, a couple hardships, they're going to end up with about 94 anglers. So that does mean, Aaron, that a few names that people are accustomed to seeing out there on the Elite Series are going to be on the outside looking in. You know, just to name a few that look like they're going to be on that outside looking in, you know, no official word yet from Bass on the field as of yet. Of course, you won't get that until everybody pays up, right? <laughs> that's, oh, when, yeah. that's when you Show get the official. Show me the money. I mean, it looks like a guy like Rick Morse, who, who was in the Elite Series for a long time and then requalified and been in the Elite Series for the last five, six years. Again, looks like he's going to be on the outside looking in. Uh, fan favorite, Chris Groh. Chris Groh's got a great social media following. Chris had a rough couple of years, so it looks like he's going to move into a different uh, realm, whether he fishes the Opens or, or Toyotas or, or MLF Pro Circuit or something. We, we don't know yet, but that's going to be uh, you know, another angler that looks like he's going to be outside looking in on this Elite Series deal. And then another one that's had a lot of success, Aaron, is uh, Kelly J. Kelly J's had a tough couple years. So that's just a couple that look like they're on the outside looking in. Um, There's going to be probably 15, maybe close to 20 anglers, 15 or so anglers that are moved off of the Elite Series, 15 to 20, and uh, making room for those 12 new open anglers and then also that slight reduction in the field. Uh, So some big movement there with the Bassmaster side on the Elite Series, of course. You know, this all coming into effect, Aaron, after mayhem 
erupted. Uh, as everybody, all longtime fans of bass fishing know, uh, mayhem erupted in, uh, I think it was 2019, you know, with the involvement of the Bass Pro Tour and a lot of the elite Sears anglers moving to that new MLF style of format and organization. So uh, still seeing some after effects, a little bit of this ripple effect going on. But uh, it's going to be interesting now things again, as we mentioned, you know, several years ago, it would take a few years for things to settle out. Right, starting right. to see that now. You're yep. starting to see that settle out. So. And I think it'll be, uh, you know, that is going to bring some new life perhaps to the circuits. Uh, but, man, that's some pressure, you know, when you think about it. Having to uh, kind of protect yourself and stay within that realm or that division, if you will. It's hard enough catching a fish and trying to cash a paycheck, but then just yeah. to be able to stay within kind of the, you know, that that number uh, of getting automatic acceptance or a birth back yes. into it that's a whole different level you know you had to be in the top 65 to get a basic requalification to the elite series for 2022 and that was over a you know a couple year average of people's angler of the year finish but being in the top 65 of 100 that's pretty significant Let's so, see uh, if uh, – I'm sure you have somebody on uh, cue ready to uh, tell us how to get in the top 65% of our fishing realm, whether we fish yeah. tournaments or not. So looking I have not. That. I have not been in my top 65 over the last <laughs> yeah. couple of years. Yeah, it's well, been a rough go. Well, my season finished like the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, you know, uh, made the championship and then fell flat on my face. So let's not even talk about that. We're looking forward. We're looking to 2022 now. You got it. You got it. All right, Aaron. Well, what we're going to look forward to is talking to an angler that has been on an absolute tear in the month of October. Y'all stay tuned. We're going to have a Opens champion with us next right here on Bass Edge Radio with the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm FLW Tour Pro Luke Duncan. I'm professional angler Keith Poche. This is 2019 Bassmaster Classic Qualifier Jared Littner. This is BASS Elite Series angler Seth Fighter. This is Facts and Fishing host Dave Mercer, and you're listening to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments, so why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. Aaron, one of this fall's hottest pro anglers is here for this episode's Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Maybe it's because he's a shallow water angler from Louisiana. Maybe because he was able to put in some extra practice days. I'm not really sure yet, but we're going to find out how pro angler Nick LeBrun dominated the final two BASS Opens this past fall as we welcome back to another episode of Bass Edge Radio. Thanks for being with us today, Nick. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Super excited. Well, I would think, Nick, given the October that you had, you are probably on cloud nine for the entire month of October. What a October to remember. A BASS open second place finish on Smith Lake, an open win on Grand Lake with a ticket to the 2022 Bassmaster Classic. Congratulations. And, uh, you, you know, you got to spill the tea here. What in the world has gotten into you in the month of October? <laughs> Cloud nine's an understatement. It's more like cloud 975 and a half. <laughs> Man, you know, uh, it all started with bombing at Pickwick. I know that's kind of a weird way to look at it, but uh, I finished in the triple digits at Pickwick in the first open, and, and I knew that that took me out of contention for the points and an elite invite. So I told my family, I said, well, hey, I'm just going to swing for the fence and, and try to uh, fish to win and get a classic qualification. And, uh, man, it worked out. So uh, sometimes a, a triple-digit finish can change your perspective on things and make you swing a little bit harder. 
Absolutely. It certainly did in this case, Nick. You know, we, we've talked about fall fishing strategies, September uh, episodes, October episodes. Now, you know, you have put it to work, your strategies in October, fishing in the fall, um, you know, moving right now, our November 1 episode. What has been, you know, the strategies and patterns that has worked so f- well for you this past month? It's kind of a, a pretty broad array because at Smith, yes, I did have a few good ones in my bag from day one on a buzz bait, you know, just slinging a uh, B&M J-Bug on the back of it, little Hayabusa uh, trailer hook covering water. But then the whole rest of the tournament, I was I was out deep, you know, 100 foot of water, uh, using Lawrence after target, you know, vertical fishing, dropping on fish, uh a V&M drop shad and a little Hayabusa ball head. So it was kind of like one extreme to the other for that tournament. Now with Grand, it was all one rod, one bait, all braid, just committed, you know, and, and that's really what I like to do. You know, I wish I could have done that at Smith, but the power fishing thing just, it didn't last after day one with all the pressure, I think. Well, Nick, when you're running these type of uh, fall patterns, how do you weigh, I, I guess, you know, the risk versus reward? Is it a constant or really an all or nothing strategy in the fall season? You know, uh, I was really surprised that I was able to win with the big plopper pattern, uh, big top water on Grand, because so many times, like me and my friend Marcus Sakura have talked about numerous times, that plopper is a good way to get three fish for like 10 pounds. And you just, you never get four and five, uh, or, or you can't get 15 fish on it over three days. Mm. But, but man, if you can, if you can make it work for three days, you're going to be at the top. And that's what I love about fishing that way, you know? So it is high risk and high reward because, uh, fishing like that, you really got to commit to it. You know, it's, it's not something with, with power fishing, not just a big top water, but any kind of power fishing, in my opinion, you've got to lock that rod in your hand and there's no turning back. You know, it, it, you can't throw it for an hour and then say, okay, well, I'm going to go throw a wacky worm now for a little bit. You know, like you've really got to commit to it mentally and physically. And, um, Man, I love doing that, and it, and it's really bittersweet when it works out. Nick, you've opened a lot of doors right here in our first couple questions, and now we're going to break these doors down, right? We're going we're gonna to dive deep into the lures, the strategies, and techniques that, that were effective for you. Let, let's first start with the Smith Lake event, right? We often talk in the fall about bait, and um, obviously when you're working your four-face and sonar, as you mentioned you know, in the previous question, it's probably a bait oriented situation when you talk about early in the in the tournament at smith lake you know some buzz bait action you know it's probably a little bit more of taking advantage of of some low light conditions maybe it sounds like let's talk about first you know that buzz bait scenario what style of banks you know we often hear about backs of pockets and and um you know following the bait this time of year what was successful in getting an understanding of where those buzz bait bites were going to occur for you? Oh, man, that's a tough one on Smith. I'll definitely be able to give you more of a detailed answer on Grand, but on Smith, I don't really know, Kurt. Uh, it was just put in your hand and make 732 casts and you get a bite. And <laughs> so, some of those might be on um, a lay down on rock. Some of them might be on just, you know, a straight transition rock type bank. Some of them might be back behind a dock uh, under a cable. It was really just random and just keep it in your hand and cover water. And maybe that's why I didn't catch them on that particular pattern on day two. Probably the best guy in that field, uh, Jesse Wiggins, told me after the tournament, he said, man, it's very rare that they bite that buzz bait on day two. You know, us locals really don't know why. But I'm like, well, you're right, because I threw it for three hours the first morning, uh, the first time on uh, day two, and I never had a fish on it. And so, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe there was some kind of secret bank composition, but I never could get dialed in on that. My uh, strategy was just take off and make as many casts as you could throughout the day. 
Did it seem like a back of pocket deal, secondary points? Um, did you find any key there, or was it literally drop the troller at the front of an area and just, <laughs> just fish go. the main lake, the secondary point, the back of the pocket, keep the troller on eight, and just you know hope there's one that you're going to buzz it across? Of? Yeah, I had three keepers in my bag on day one that come on uh, the buzz bait, and one of them was on a straight-up rock bank that was on the main river, uh, really main lake oriented, mm-hmm. uh, but, you know, boat was sitting in 30 foot, you throw wow. it up to the bank. One keeper was in the back of a pocket on wood and another keeper was, uh, behind a dock, uh, skipped it under a cable under the walkway. All right. So, I mean, that's three totally different. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The wood fish and the dock fish were largemouth and the straight up rock, deep deeper main lake fish was a big spot so dude it was just you never knew and and uh and me and tom frank talked about that you know he was a buzz bait man in that tournament and uh he said you just never know it's just you cover water and every time you get a bite you're surprised did it seem like that was just an early morning deal was that part of the key for that then i would say so because uh we had a fog delay on day one and and i was a late number or no, I was a pretty early. Let me think about that. Yeah, I think I was a, I was a late number on day one, so I didn't start fishing until after nine o'clock with the fog delay. I caught a three and a half pound largemouth on it, and that three pound spot like from nine to ten o'clock. So those two big bites were key, and and they were early. Now I did cool late in the day. That was probably I don't know three o'clock or so. But I feel like the bigger fish on the top water were early. So then you transitioned into this kind of active target scenario that, that you mentioned earlier, bait oriented, middle of pockets, main lake. How did that come into play for you? Yeah. So I had found a section of the lake that wasn't far from takeoff that I'd found a ton of bait and a ton of stripers. And from what I've been told, when you find the stripers on a lake that has herring, the big spots are going to be with them. And, and that held true. So while I'd be throwing the buzz bait, you know, every couple of minutes, I would just kind of scan out there and just kind of keep them honest and, and be noticing, wow, there's a ton of bait right here outside this little pocket. And let me spend a minute or two, you know, looking around. And uh, by doing that, it, it really helped me dial in where there were some, some big schools at. Uh, and, and they weren't per se just like staying in one little spot. They would roam in a couple hundred yard area. Right. And so w- when things got tough on day two and they didn't bite the buzz bait, I just had to go to one of those schools and chase them around till I had 12 pounds. Right. You talked about uh, the lure that you were using. Are, are you just kind of casting this through fish that you see on active target or casting it just through bait? Are you specifically identifying specific fish that you're targeting on, on that forward facing sonar? Yeah. A lot of times out there, you know, 60 and 80 foot, it would be hard to uh, decipher the stripers from the spots. But once you got up, you know, more in that 40 foot range, give or take, Mm-hmm. You could kind of, you could definitely kind of tell how the fish were positioned and how they were swimming. And um, if you saw six or seven fish that were up high in the water column that were that were spread out in a line, like like they're following each other, that would be spots. And um, you'd really have to make sure that you know you'd have to spend a second and figure out what way they're swimming, what direction they're swimming. And you'd have to kind of cast where you think they're going to be at in the next 10 seconds. And so you would have to, you'd have to kind of lead them and marry your bait and the fish together on screen. And, and nine times out of 10, they would, every one of them in the school would run up there real fast and look at it and look at it and follow it all the way back to the boat and then just never bite it. But every once in a while, You'd make that cast, and and one of them would just run up there and absolutely smoke it like he's never seen a bait before in his life. So I don't know what was up with that. Um, I never could figure that out. You know, talking to Cody Huff, who was doing a lot of that kind of fishing, you know, it was mind-boggling that 
what makes some of those fish bite and some don't, I don't know. But you just got to throw out enough of them to figure out which ones will bite. That's super interesting, Nick. What did the stripers look like? You know, you talked about how the spots kind of you are able to identify them. You know, when I see stripers typically on my 2D or down scan, they're kind of in this crazy S format, right? You know, they're kind of up and down in the water column pretty uh, rapidly. Do you see the same thing when you're viewing them so long on the active target scenario as well? To me at Smith, the stripers, once you got close enough to them, you know, in that 40 foot range, you could see them swimming more of a, in a segmented, like wobbly type way. The spots would just be kind of a constant uh, blip on the screen. Uh, you really couldn't see the, the segment of their body because they're so short and fat where the stripers are more elongated. And you could tell the striper on the screen because he, he looked like almost like 3D, like he was kind of like a jointed, broken tail minnow jerk yeah, like a swim bait. Right, right. Yeah. 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 It looked like a, a big giant S waiver 250 in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember, you know, when we were fished that pro circuit event uh, on Erie, it, which was really kind of the first year that, you know, the whole forward facing sonar just got ridiculous you know yeah. and and guys were uh, Lawrence didn't have one yet so I, I wasn't fishing one I had played with uh, you know a friend's Garmin and stuff but I didn't have one in that particular event but anglers were telling me they could tell the difference between a drum and a smallmouth once they really started dialing in what those fish were looking like on that forward facing sonar similar to what you're talking about here so great advancement as far as that yeah it, it, just like with anything i mean i'm sure crappie fishermen will tell you the same thing if you spend enough time staring at that screen and learning your equipment i mean you're going to be able to differentiate between species you know it's hard to do and it takes a lot of screen time but um you know it is possible and and i don't doubt those guys are, are dialing in drum versus smallmouth uh, i haven't done that yet you know, kind of like you, I haven't really fished a northern smallmouth event besides the St. Lawrence this past season, but uh, I, I'm anxious to get more experience up north with it. Yeah, good stuff there. And uh, Nick, I wanted to kind of, before we had to break, I, I want to get your thoughts. It's, it's interesting when you bring that up about distinguishing between, you know, species and, and kind of looking at the, at the the spots following in a line. I remember our last episode, Jimmy Washam, he more or less went through of talking about angry bait. Anytime you see the angry bait down there, it's uh, that means something's about to go down. I'm curious for you to kind of walk us through, if you can, now the, you know, the whole grand scenario and grand situation. Well, grand, I was a lot more dialed in, and, and I feel like uh, I wasn't just like randomly fishing and just like, you know, living on a hope and a prayer. Um, <laughs> like Smith, I mean, Smith was like just by the seat of my pants, really. And uh, and it shows I got second, you know. I mean, Jacob was a lot more dialed in, obviously, but at grand was different. So I had a tough practice at, at grand. Uh, fished a day and a half, hadn't really done a whole lot. And, uh, you know, talking to some other pros, it, I knew that it was tough. But one thing that is in the back of my mind and a game plan I had going in up there was to just put a plopper in my hand and, and try to make it work. And so uh, one afternoon I decided, hey, I'm going to put on a plopper, I'm going to put on the 110 loon color, and I'm just going to throw it for a couple hours and just see. And uh, lo and behold, I had about a bite every 45 minutes to an hour that afternoon. And had a couple of big ones. Had a five-pounder at that point. I've been in those treble hooks. You never want to take a treble off. You always want to bend it in or cut it. But uh, And I started shaking some big blow-ups off that thing. It, it was super windy uh, all through practice. The next day, I really got dialed in more of what I needed to be looking for. And in my opinion, that was a, a couple of mixture of things. You had to have areas where the big gizzard shad were on the bank. And uh, for those of you that don't know, a, a big gizzard shad is those big shad that are like, you know, five to 10 inches long. They're real dark colored on grand and they have a forked tail. And uh, where a thread fin shad is like, the, you see a, a bunch of shad, it's like a thousand of them in a little dinner table size area. But the gizzard shad, you pull up and drop your trolling motor and you'd, you'd see them dark 
in several different directions. You'd see like a big V across the water. That's a gizzard shad. And you'd have to find an area that had a gizzard shad on the bank. And then also it would have to be main lake related. If you had a little short, small 200 yard pocket that's right off the you know deep 100 foot water, that was key. And if that pocket had uh, just a few docks in it, I mean, that was almost a given. The two biggest bites I had in the event come off of the areas like that that I just described. It would just be a, a single short little pocket with maybe a dock or two and uh, had the gizzard shed. And a lot of the bigger bites I had were coming back behind the dock, over the top of cables, under cables, under the walkway, that sort of thing. And so uh, you think I, that I, was I feel- just that type of cash you were making? just less pressure because it was tougher to get your lure back there? Do you think that's what made that particularly effective? Yeah, probably so. Um, anytime that you have a field of 200 boats, you've got to make some casts that your average guy is not making. Now, the thing with a bass open, I mean, there's 100 guys that are not average. I mean, they're stout, awesome, elite field type guys. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, though, it's time consuming, you know, getting back behind a dock, making a few casts over the cable, getting hung up, getting it unhung, putting your troll motor on high, you know, zooming that ghost around the front of the dock on a hundred, getting back around the other side of the dock, doing the same thing and doing that over and over throughout the day. Well, Nick, it, and it, I think again, it, your, your description there, you know, I just want to quickly point out a good friend of mine that, and, and we've fished together a lot, you know, Chris Bonk, who's done very, very, had a very good season, you know, uh, Lake of the Ozarks, very similar to Grand with the docks. He and I talk yes. a lot about, you know, dock fishing and exactly, of course, Marcus has done exactly what, you know, used the technique that, that you've just described there quite a bit of pitching under those walkways and that with either a buzz bait or a whopper plopper, things like that. But when we kind of break it down, we kind of almost feel like, and I'm like your opinion on this, that, People give up on it just because it is so arduous. I mean, it takes time. You know, you can, it's hard to cover a lot of water because you're looking for very specific areas or they're not easy cast. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and just to be from a sphere of transparency, it's not fun. No, you know? no, no. <laughs> it's, uh, man, it, it, it seems like you're trolling a mile to make two casts and then trolling another mile to make two casts, you know, and, uh, man, it's hard on your boat. I mean, it, those cables and let's just be honest, you can have all the game plan in your mind when, okay, when I get bit on this cable, here's what I'm going to do to get the fish in the boat. But when you get that blow up, all that's out the window and it's total chaos of just trying to (laughs) (laughs) trying to rush up there and get that fish in your hands you know and uh it's not fun it's a tedious way to fish but again like you mentioned at the beginning of the show it's high risk and high reward if you can make it happen for three days you're going to be hard to beat nick you talked a little bit about you know weather conditions and i read also some you know kind of cool and then it kind of warmed up through practice even though the winds you know were a little strong coming out of the south things turned around to the north you know you had some cooler temperatures for the actual event days what was the water temperature there first that, that's my first question kind of what what was what did you see water temperatures doing i saw a 67 to 72 and I really didn't see much fluctuation, even with all that wind change and temperature change. It seemed to hold pretty steady. Uh, the night before day one, we had a pretty pretty good cold front that moved through, but it moved through late enough where the fish still bit at daylight. And um, I had two fish for eight pounds in the first you know 20 minutes of fishing mm-hmm. that morning. So so that was key. A lot of times, if those fronts move through pretty early in the night, the fish will already be locked down at daylight. But uh, that wasn't the case, and so I was real thankful for that but um you know you just you had to have some kind of wind whether it be north or south or whatever but just wind in general was a huge key in this event and i heard some other top 10 anglers say that as well you know the windier the better because that would really position those fish just inside those pockets that i'm talking about if it was super windy you could almost guarantee that that first dock that's a little bit out of the wind was going to have a fish on it great stuff right there nick we got to take a quick break in the action and we're going to power pull down everyone's Stay right here. More Bass Edge Radio after this short message with pro angler Nick LeBron. Patented in 2000, perfected over years of testing and real-world punishment, the Power Pole is the ultimate shallow-water boat positioning tool. Swift. 
PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to eight feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole, swift, silent, secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge presented in part by Mercury Marine. Go boldly returning with MLF Pro Circuit Angler Nick LeBrun in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. That's right, Lucas Oil High Performance Marine Products. Be sure to visit the BassEdge.com store for free shipping on all Lucas products. It works. Nick, before the break, we started breaking down some water temperatures and, and uh, you know, that, that event there, Grand Lake, that you just recently won. Really, temps hadn't fallen quickly, you know, down into that mid to low 60s range when you really see a lot more fall activity, even even into the even into the high 50s, right? Fish are fish are pretty fired up and and they're really starting to feed up for the for the winter time. You and I both live, you know, a little farther south than than Aaron does and and much of the nation quite frankly. So to get to the high 50s, low 50s for us is pretty significant. Where whereas up north yeah. it's it's, you know, obviously more prevalent and much sooner in the fall transition process even even right now, you know, in early November, you've got, you know, anglers up in New York and Ohio and and uh, even, you know, down into Illinois, uh, you know, North Carolina starting to see those temps really start to decline. What success that you've had this fall will help you in a continued transition to stay with fish as you know these cooler temps rolling into the 50s begin to approach in much of the nation well for me the past two events have really uh, brought to light following the bait no matter if that's you know herring or uh gizzard shad or thread shin or whatever right. but you know, you always read that in the magazines and the websites and the user's guide of bass fishing, if there is one. Right, but, right. But, but these past two events, like, really, like, were a light bulb moment for me. And, you know, both events, I was around the, the bait. I was dialed in. I was seeing the bait with my eyes, seeing the bait with active target. And just kind of following the fish and make sure that I was on uh, productive water, you know, so... I'm really hoping I can take that momentum of, of being dialed in and connected to the bait and just, you know, implement that more and more as it gets cold, cooler temps. But, um, but you know, there's also some, some environmental things and some equipment things that we can do. When some of these cold fronts start rolling in, and I saw this on Grand, you're going to have some fish that just don't want to, you know, come up and crush it or just that they don't want to choke it, whatever you're throwing. And uh, for me with that plopper, you know, it's real important that I would change out those treble hooks to a Hayabusa TBL 930 size 2 because some of those fish that would just come up there and headbutt it, I'd catch them anyway, either on the side of the face or on the top of the forehead. And I actually had a fish on live that I showed the camera. I'm like, hey, see, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, this fish tried to come up there and, and just mess with me, but I caught him anyway and, and, and weighed him in on the final day. So when the fish get finicky, you know, sometimes a, a good, sharp, NRB-coated treble hook is just – it's worth its weight in gold. It really is. How does speed play in a factor in all this? You know, how fast you're actually moving the bait across the surface of the water from – that earlier time of year, like you had at Grand, you know, where that water temperature was still kind of transitioning into that cooler faller temperature to, you know, as temps get into the low 60s and high 50s. How does that affect, in both scenarios, your um, speed of retrieve and how that plays a factor for you? So there's kind of a fine line, you know, here in Louisiana on grass lakes and, you know, just fall fishing in general. When you have water that's still, you know, 58, 60 degrees, you're not going to outswim them. I mean, you can reel it as fast as you want, whether it be a, a rattle trap or a chatterbait or a swim bait even. I mean, sometimes they want that bait just smoking through there. But it's kind of funny because after you've had a few cold fronts more and like you get down more towards that 55 to 57 range, Sometimes you got to beg them to bite. And, you know, mm. like with a trap, I still use a high speed reel, but I just, I crawl it. But it's, it's so weird because once you get that first bite, it just fires them up. And then you throw in there and just, 
any retrieve any speed. But a lot of times to trigger those fall schools that are shallow, you know, grass-related fish, you've kind of got to beg them. You know, multiple cast, slow retrieve, and but once you catch one or two of them, it's on. But um, you know, so we we welcome that 58 to 62 range. But once it gets a little lower than that, you know, we kind of got to look at it a little bit differently and uh, think outside the box sometimes here in my region. Nick, let's uh, transition a little bit into you brought up, you know, electronics. I'm curious to get your thoughts. And, and Kurt, please jump in on this as well. Have you noticed or found limitations, you know, up shallow uh, concerning the forward facing sonar? Or are you finding that it can be, you know, just as effective in shallow as what it can be using it kind of out in the depths? To me, it's just as effective. And um, I had a light bulb moment on Lake Efala this year uh, when we were there for Pro Circuit. When was that, Kurt? Was that like May, April yes. or something? Yeah, it okay. was May. Yeah, it was, it was okay. May, kind of in that early summer transition. Shad spawn was going on a little bit here and there. And, uh, yeah, it was it was uh, post-spawn. Yeah but not, you know, summer doldrums yet at all. But, yeah, it was in that May time yeah. frame. Yeah, so I was fishing shallow and deep in that event. But um, when I was shallow fishing some docks, you know, I just happened to have my active target on, and, you know, I shined it up there toward the dock. And my boat was sitting in about five foot of water, and I was kind of shining it at a 45-degree angle toward the bank and toward the dock. And near the dock, I could see some dock pilings of the walkway, but there was a stump or something down there and I could see a, a, a fish above that stump and some shimmering fry above the fish. So I actually saw a fry garter on active target. So that kind of opened my eyes of like, wow, like <laughs> this thing does work in five foot of water. Is it as clear and, and is it as easy to make out? No. Obviously, the deeper the water you're in, the better it works. But don't discount it when you're 10 foot or less because it will reveal some stuff to you, especially in muddier water. When you can't see visually with your eyes, it will reveal some stuff that's there. You know, so that was pretty cool. Nick, I completely uh, have seen some of the same things that you're seeing as far as that forward-facing sonar up shallow. It's a totally different view, and you kind of got to look for some different uh, type of activity on the unit, right? I mean, a lot of times they're just not as clear and as bald you know, as they are out deep, but right. you start seeing some flashing and some flickering out there, and uh, a lot of times that, that's We're the We're still talking about electronics here, Kurt, correct? Yes. Okay, yes, right. we just, are. just, just <laughs> Making sure, just making sure. Not not your not your Saturday night dance fever. Right? Okay, no, okay. No, this <laughs> still electronics. So, but uh, but yes, uh, I I would completely agree. Anglers need to uh, kind of have that light bulb moment, as you mentioned, Nick. And I've had a few myself. Not not saying that I'm all dialed up on the forward facing sonar in less than five feet, but uh, but there's definitely some uh, very interesting ways to utilize that process and uh, make it work for you even up shallow as good as it is out deep but uh, nick how late in the year can you continue feeling confident to find schools of fish that are actively feeding on shad that you're targeting with your electronics you get into december or january are you still finding these uh you call them like dinner table size you know shad balls of threadfin or seeing those uh gizzards kind of cruising up shallow and are you still targeting that you know, as, as the year progresses that late, or is that something that you find kind of starts to fizzle out at some point? I think it's uh, as late as you want it to be. You know, it depends on what lake you're on. And I think you always have fish that are gizzard eaters. You have fish that are threadfin eaters and some both probably, but I can recall a uh, Bassmaster team championship on Gunnersville in 2015 ish. And uh, me and my partner, Randy Deaver were, uh, had a deep school in like 20 foot of water, uh, had 28 pounds on the second day. Mm. Now that was, that was obviously not forward facing sonar fish back, back in the day, but those <laughs> fish were, well, those fish were definitely, those fish were definitely shad related. I mean, there's no doubt about it. 
Right. And, uh, you know, deep cranking or, uh, you know, a three-quarter ounce swim bait. Uh, love throwing a high boost of power delta for stuff like that. But uh, it's as late as you want to be. Nick, uh, Nick I could not agree more. In the I, south. I, I could not agree more. I mean, even like on some of the White River Lakes, Table Rock, Bull Shoals and that, I mean, it's like we didn't really start getting excited until December rolled around. And then you kind of find those, uh, you know, those schools of bait and you can stick with those fish from December all the way up into, you know, spawn there are just out there on them so good point yep that's right nick uh gonna bring us full circle back to your success on the opens you know has it prompted you to i guess feel more confident going into the new mlf pro circuit season and and how will you plan to i guess kind of build on or or use that momentum you know gain this fall and, and carry it over absolutely like i was uh joking with a friend of mine on the way home i'm like man i wish i could just go find another tournament and fish right now because <laughs> right. in uh in this sport momentum is everything and when you can you know harness that and ball that up and bring it down the road to another event that's not too far off man it means everything and uh for example smith lake to grand lake that those tournaments were about a week apart okay so i've just got to find a way to kind of stay on this cloud 972 <laughs> and, and and implement that, you know, hopefully at Rayburn in January, because, uh, man, I'm really excited about that, that lake and the whole entire schedule for next year, and as well as the Central Opens. Um, I don't want to wish time away. You know, I've got a wife and three little kids that I feel like I sacrifice a lot of missing out on stuff, but, but 2022 cannot hurry up and get here sooner. <laughs> uh, from a from a fisherman a pro angler standpoint sure makes complete sense to me uh you want to ride the train while it's trucking ain't no doubt about it nick we're going to move into our uh, nitro performance bass boats listener question segment this question comes in from the uh, bass edge instagram page um ike alexander aka launching salaunches <laughs> from washington state ike asked this question if you could help answer it for him I'm from the Northwest and winter is close approaching. Ike would like to know what techniques you might recommend for catching bass as they head deep and get more lethargic. Okay. If he's in the Northwest, I mean, his water temp's probably like 28 degrees, probably. <laughs> but, uh, but just, I'm going to give an answer for just cold water. And, and cold water in Louisiana is different from Washington State, right? But, Whenever the bass get lethargic and they don't want to do a whole lot, the key is just making sure you're presenting your bait to them and directly on them. Uh, Forward-facing sonar is going to help with that. But when I think of, of, of like begging a fish to bite, I think of uh, vertical fishing like I was doing at Smith Lake. You know, a little lightweight, maybe a 316th Hayabusa FPJ head, a V&M drop shad, and uh, maybe 8-pound Sunline FC sniper fluoro, you know, fishing out of spinning reel with mainline braid and, and just begging that fish to bite. And, and when you, anytime you're vertical fishing, you want to make sure that bait is a few feet above that fish's head. You know, it seems to me like when you get it right there trying to, like, force it in their mouth, that's not really not natural to them. But I would get on your forward-facing sonar, hold that little vertical bait a few feet above their head, and just play around with some retrieves. Hold it still. Don't play with it at all. And then maybe just try barely tapping your rod with your fingertips. Maybe move it up and down. Uh, maybe, you know, kind of pulsate it. But uh, in my opinion, if that doesn't catch them out deep when they're lethargic, I don't really know what will. That's some of the most finesse type stuff you can do. And you combine that with forward facing, I mean, I think you're going to be successful. Yeah, Nick, I think you bring up a great point just to kind of add on that because I think you're spot on. You know, one of the techniques that we would always use would be even combine that maybe with a hair jig if it gets really, really tough, you know, of using that same deal to where that kind of that mylar on that hair floats around. If the water's deep enough, we we would often kind of yank a spoon in front of them too. So I, I think this forward-facing sonar, you know, as we head in and more people understand it, I, I do believe it's going to be a game changer for this kind of fishing as well. No doubt. Nick, certainly appreciate you taking Ike's question. And uh, Ike, thanks for sending that in but we do need another piece of information from you and another action, and that is to log on to BassEdge.com, click on the Claim Your Prize tab, fill out the information, and we will get the Bass Edge gift sent directly to you. And as a reminder, keep shooting those questions into the Instagram page or 
go log on to the BassEdge.com website, hit the Ask the Pro tab, and uh, fill out the little form. We'll get your questions answered right here on the show. There's an easier way to do that, too. You can just uh, hit us up on our social media or shoot us an email, support at BassEdge.com. So look forward to seeing all those questions sent in by the listeners. Well, Nick, I know it's been a little bit since we uh, had you on the last time, but it was certainly uh, a welcome presence back and to kind of hear uh, just how that magical October, you know, came about for you and uh, certainly are looking to kind of follow you into 2022. There's no reason why you cannot, you know, ride that momentum and certainly we will be cheering you on. But as we continue with the show, any final thoughts before we uh, let you go and have your day back? I would just say put God first. Um, without him, I wouldn't be able to have done anything in October. Uh, he gave me the strength. And so, uh, especially young people, put God first. And there's no reason why you can't be doing what I'm doing someday. Great stuff, Nick. Always on the top of the list, no doubt about it. And um, it's always fun chatting, fishing with you. Look forward to seeing you around next year on the road. Bass Edge Nation, don't go away. Aaron and I are going to return in just a moment. Know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat? MegaWare Keel Guard. Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare Keel Guard keel protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat. Guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Be at home with nature with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it, power how you need it, power when you need it. Well, Nick was a returning guest, but brought a whole uh, another, I guess, added layer, if you will, Kurt. I don't know, maybe that's not the fair way to say it, but uh, just a, a very thorough interview. And I really appreciated kind of the contrast between, you know, the two lakes and then also just his breakdown as we head into uh, to winter here. Yeah, some new things that we didn't chat about in the last several episodes, you know, kind of prepping and all of us working on our game for fall fishing. The gizzard shad thing, not something that has really come to light. Still backs of pockets. I'm not set necessarily way backs in the creeks. And I think a part of that for Nick was just because water temps hadn't really gotten down to that point yet. Although, you know, fall fishing is in effect at present, it's still not totally fired up here in the mid section of the country and specifically in the south of the country as well. It's still got some cooling to do, right? And I think a lot of times in the fall, we do the same thing in the spring. We kind of push those fish shallower than they really are, you know, in that time of year. And we want to push fish shallower now than they are yet to. The best fishing, Aaron, still to come 
here as November and early December progresses. So uh, it's time to get out on the lake. And what a better time than to utilize all the great information we've been able to extract from anglers over the last several episodes here on Bass Edge Radio. Could not agree more. You know, my rule of thumb in Missouri and the areas that I fish is kind of uh, tabled around Missouri deer season, which is always about that middle part of November. I think that's when the the bass fishing really starts heating up. And uh, the other thing is, like you, you said it during the interview, it's nice to have, you know, versus talking in theory, we actually had somebody on it on the show that that uh, won a lot of money did extremely well using the very absolutely uh, you know uh, conditions and and tactics that uh, that he talked about we've been so, discussing that's yeah. right so yeah. anyway just a reminder we've got to close down Kurt we are out of time but just want to thank yourself obviously for being at the mic and putting the show together but also our listeners as they have many opportunities out there as you begin to look downfield we have Christmas out there don't be alarmed by the supply chain and shipping and all of that so make sure that uh, you're, you're starting to look at your Christmas list and kind of get out in front of that and certainly there's a lot of things on BassEdge.com that can be had for perusing there at BassEdge.com. Keep sending in those questions but in the meantime Kurt and I look forward to seeing you November 15th for another great episode of Bass Edge Radio. For Kurt Dove, I am Aaron Martin. So long everybody. is presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com and be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Transport Graphics. <laughs>